Well, this morning my message, and it's really, I just love it when, you know, believe it or not, even though I'm related to the person who picks the songs, oftentimes we don't converse about what I'm preaching on. And this morning, the title of my message is, I'm a child of God. Uh, First, it was going to be, if you are a child of God. But I didn't want to plant any doubt in anybody's mind. So I changed it. Are you a child of God? And we've been singing about being a child of God, knowing that we are a child of God. Some of you may have heard of the man named Watchman Nee. I'm going to share, it's, it's a little bit of a story he shared. It's actually a life experience for him, and I'm going to change it a little bit as I go through it, but I wanted to give him credit for it. There was a new Christian, a relatively new Christian, who came to his house to talk to him. And this young Christian was in quite a bit of distress. And Watchman Nee asked him, he says, what's wrong? What's going on in your life? He says, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I pray, No matter how much or how often I repent of my sins, I just continually keep messing up. I'm always in fear. I'm always overwhelmed with feelings of guilt and feelings of shame. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. I'm not even sure I'm saved, much less a child of God. And Watchman Nee says to him, You see that dog laying over there? That's my dog. That dog has been house-trained and house-broken. That dog lives to please me. That dog is obedient. All I have to do is give it a command or snap my fingers or whistle, and that dog responds in obedience immediately. That dog is an absolute pure delight in my life. And then he says, out in the kitchen is my one-year-old son, my only son. He makes a mess of just about everything. He throws food everywhere. He soils his clothes multiple times a day. He keeps me up most of the night along with my wife. There's not many things he does that in the natural please me. But who do you think is going to inherit my kingdom? It isn't going to be my dog. It's going to be my son. He is my heir. And he says, you are God's child. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ because Jesus died for you. You're a child of God. We are children of God through Gary, by grace, through faith, not by perfection. And I think of that story, and it's a little humorous. I think... Uh, You know, some of us do have dogs that behave better than our children. And God looks at us and says, I got some dogs that behave better than most of my children. But the reality is it's not about perfection. It's not about works. It's by grace through faith. And that is one of the things that I believe Satan wants to challenge in our lives continually, every day. He wants to challenge the truth with lies and deceptions and temptations. If he can convince us that we are not really children of God. And when I say that, assuming you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're not, you haven't quite finished the adoption process yet. You're on your way. But if you have, you're a child of God, and Satan wants to convince us that we're not. He wants us to disqualify ourselves somehow, because if he can do that, it doesn't nullify or change what Jesus did for us, 
But what it does, it almost makes it impotent, the things that he's done for us, the freedom that he purchased for us on the cross, the abundant life that's available to all of us in Jesus Christ that he died for is being stopped because we're believing lies. And we know the truth is what sets us free. And hopefully we know the truth, who we are in Christ. But it seems to me that we forget oftentimes and we start to believe those lies. And the reality is this. A lie can be just as powerful in your life as the truth if you believe it. You start listening to the lies of the enemy or the lies of the world or even some things that people say to you that are supposed to not say those things to you. Your faith becomes weakened. It will destroy our trust in God. That's a big deal. It causes us to live in bondage instead of this freedom, this abundant life. It will derail, at the very least, delay the plan and the destiny that God has for you. You know, he didn't create us just because he was bored. He created us so he could love us, and he has a destiny and a plan for us. You know, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He's got a plan. The devil hates his plan. The devil hates everything about God. The primary reason he hates you and me is because God loves you and me. Anything he can do to hurt us, he knows will hurt our Heavenly Father. So we're just kind of in in the devil's eyes. We're nothing but a pawn. In God's eyes, we hear his children purchased by the death of his son. Satan wants to get us to believe the lie. And as we do this, as we believe that lie, it also will hinder the witness and the influence you and I are to have as his ambassadors. We are supposed to be salt and light in the world. If I'm walking around believing the lies that somehow I'm worthless, somehow I'm not good enough, somehow I am a major mess up, somehow I've just consumed with guilt and shame for what was in my past. If we walk around living like that, we aren't much salt and light to the world. And the devil may have lost us. We may have went from his kingdom to the Lord's kingdom, but he sure is making us ineffective in our witness and our testimony. And as we face the temptations of life, we need to always remember and stand on that truth. It's such a simple but yet profound and powerful truth that you and I are sons and daughters of God. We're going to look this morning in Matthew chapter 4. If you have Bibles or iPads, or iPhones, or whatever it is you use. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 4. The primary scriptures I will be putting up on the the screen. But I encourage you to, to carry the word with you. There's something about having it with you. We're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at some temptations that Jesus himself had to endure. And one of the major or primary concepts or ideas of those challenges was if you're the Son of God. You know, sometimes in Scripture we see Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. What that simply means is we had a first Adam. There was a first Adam. Adam in the garden, husband of Eve, the one who sinned. The Bible says by one Adam, by the first man, that one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and the whole world was guilty of sin. So Jesus is at times referred to as the second Adam. As sin entered the world through one man, that first Adam, salvation and redemption comes into the world through one man, that second Adam, Jesus Christ. 
I want to read just from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 first to give us this picture because we see Satan, as good as he is at what he does, he's not always that original. I don't know exactly how many thousands of years ago this temptation in the garden took place, but he's using the same tricks today. And human beings are still following, falling for the same tricks. In Genesis 3, 1, it says, Now the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, says the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to her the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice right away in that, the first thing Satan did was challenge the Word of God. Challenging truth. Trying to get the eye off of truth, the mind off the truth. Get you to quit standing on truth and start to question, start to doubt, start to not trust God completely. Did God really say? Does God really mean? In verse 3, Eve adds to the Word of God, as she's going to answer his question about eating of the fruit, you notice she adds to the Word of God. Not a good idea. You know, she says, yeah, we're not supposed to eat of that tree in the center of the garden. We're not even supposed to touch it. God didn't say that. And sometimes I, we like to really, really point our finger at Eve, but if you recall when God gave those instructions about eating at that tree, of the knowledge of good of evil, he hadn't created Eve yet. He told Adam. I wonder if Adam changed the wording. Whatever he did, he wasn't a very good spiritual leader. So we can't blame Eve for everything. Even though, no. Notice, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> then notice he directly challenges God's word. He says, you will surely die. He says, you will not surely die. So often we're like, geez, how dumb can that person be to believe that? The word says, we, we do this all the time. We might think we know what it says. We may have just read it, but here comes this thought or this temptation, this opportunity to mess up, and we pretend like, oh, that can be right. Disobedience brings cursing in my life. Oh, that can't be right, not just for a little bit of misbehavior. We, we do the same things. Satan traps us the same way. Temptation. You know, usually, and I think always, but usually... When sin comes or this opportunity to sin, you know, temptation isn't sin until we act on it, right? Well, when temptation out there, there must be a prize out there, something that's going to, to gratify the flesh or something. And, he, and Satan came with it here. He says, come on, you won't surely die. Did God really say that? He says, you know why he's trying to tell you these things is? And here's the prize. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like God. Sin always has a prize out there that's complete deception. The first Adam. Eve took and ate, and he gave it to her husband. And through one man, sin entered the world. 
Now, before we read the text in Matthew chapter 4, I want to give you a background just in Matthew chapter 3, the very end of chapter 3. Jesus is somewhere about 30, 30 years old, and he's getting ready to start his ministry, his active ministry, the ministry we are going to read about throughout the Gospels. And he goes and finds this crazy guy out in the wilderness named John the Baptist. And he's in the water baptizing people. And Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And they have a little discussion. John's like, wait, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me and to fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me, John. And he does. And then we see something happen. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, walking up out of the water, the heavens open. And the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and lands on Jesus. And then in my mind, I hear a voice that sounds like thunder say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the Son of God. The very next verse is, Jesus was taken out into the wilderness to be by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Isn't that amazing? The very next word, verse in the Scripture. This is my beloved Son. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is taken by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, by Satan. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple or the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And now the devil quotes Scripture accurately. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came. And attended to him. When you look at these scriptures, <clears throat> few things stand out right away, even before you get to the temptations. In verses 1 and 2, notice what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Not by the evil spirit, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, led out into the wilderness where Jesus was going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, but led out there to be tempted by the devil. First thing we see that this was God's plan. Now that would mess with somebody's theology, but this was God's plan. 
It was his plan for him to go out into the wilderness and to be tempted or tested by the devil. Notice, God did not tempt him. The devil did the tempting. But God will allow us, and sometimes he will lead us into circumstances where the enemy can't tempt us. But when God is doing that, what he is doing is testing and building our faith. He will never give us any more than we can handle without providing that way of escape in every situation. And the way of escape is the truth of the Word of God and Jesus himself. Always. So we don't need to be so worried about temptations and we get theologians and we can argue about does God allow us to be tempted or tested and we do the parsing of the words and we look at what they mean. God does never tempt us to sin, ever, ever. But he will allow us to be tempted. He will allow us. He will even provide opportunity for us to be tempted. But the devil's always the tempter, always. And this is, this is Jesus' idea, or God's idea. This is not the devil's idea. Okay, first thing I notice. And the second thing when I look at it, it, to me it demonstrates that Jesus, why would God do this? You know, I'm not pretending that I have the word of God and the mind of God necessarily here, but why would God do this? And as I think about it, here we have Jesus, God in the flesh, all man, all God. Here we have Jesus, and we get a demonstration of a man, the perfect man, going out and facing the temptations of Satan himself and defeating Satan. He is the perfect man. You know, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, this same story says not only was he in the desert for 40 days fasting, it says he was in the desert fasting and being tested or tempted for 40 days. It appears in the Gospel of Luke that he was being tempted the whole time. And it's like we're just getting a snapshot at the end of the 40 days where the devil says, boy, I better rally. The time's about up. And he's going to throw at him the best he's got. And I think that's what's taking place. The second thing we look at there and see in this first couple of verses is there is a real devil. I think most of us believe that, but there is a whole lot of the world that doesn't believe there's an enemy out there called the devil. There is Satan. There is Lucifer. There is this dark angel. And his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Period. That's it. And he does it by lying and deceiving. So the battleground is always where? Right here. Our mind. He is trying to get us to believe lies and deceptions. He is trying to get us to believe that you are not a child of God. Somehow or other, you're not quite good enough. You have been disqualified. And we'll look at that in just a minute as we look at some of the temptations of Jesus. He is the same devil that was in the garden. This devil was able to come into absolute perfection where there was no sin, and he was able to deceive. He's good at what he does. But we have hindsight and we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us to give us discernment. We have the Word that we can learn and get in us, renewing our mind. We have so many advantages even though we live in a sinful, fallen world. Jesus had been fasting and being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, hungry and weak. So we see the first temptation in verse 3. Verse 3 says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The original language is like our language. That word if, depending on how it's grammatically structured in the sentence, in the context of the sentence, that if can mean it be interpreted two different ways. 
It could be, if you're the Son of God, but you're really not, I'm going to expose you. Or it could mean, if you're the Son of God, since you are, why go hungry? And in this case, it's the devil knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew he was facing the Son of God. Just as the devil knows that you and I, once we accept Jesus Christ and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, the secret's out. He knows we are children of God and he's going to come at us anyway and he's going to accelerate the attack. We need to be ready for it. So here's Jesus. He's hungry, weak. If you've ever fasted 40 days or 10 days or even three days, you know it has an impact on you. And it looks like from the Gospel of Luke, he was being tempted and tested the whole time. You know, it's like the devil. devil's not much of a gentleman. He loves it when you and I are experiencing wilderness experiences. He loves it when we're 40 days into a desert experience or longer. You know, he loves it when there's 40 days of marital problems or longer. We're easily vulnerable. He loves it when we've been going through 40 days of financial issues. He loves it when we've been going 40 days of grief because of the loss of a loved one. He loves it when we are weak and weary and vulnerable, and he will attack. And this is when he comes at Jesus at the end of these 40 days. If, if, and Jesus' answer, he quotes Scripture. You know, that's the first lesson we could beat to death all morning. He quotes Scripture. There is no better weapon for us to use when the enemy tempts us or tests us than to quote Scripture. The interesting thing about quoting Scripture is you have to know it first so you can quote it, being in the Word. But he quotes Scripture. And what does he say? If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, is what the enemy says. And Jesus says to him, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we read that, there is significance to it, just as it is. But if we understand, he is quoting from Deuteronomy. He is quoting this time from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus' 40 days kind of parallels or does parallel the 40 years that Israel was wandering in the desert. And when he's quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, he is quoting from a time when the Israelites were being walked through the desert for these 40 years, And they were being tested. God was testing them to learn so that they would learn that they need to obey every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And one of the things that he used to teach them with was feeding them manna. Every day, manna was provided. But with one caveat, you had to do it exactly how he said to do it. The food, the provision was important. But every word that came out of the mouth of God was more important. Go out there and collect manna in a way that was contrary to what God said and how he said to do it, and you had a bucket full of maggots. That's a nice picture. All is food as long as I'm consuming every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And this is kind of the context, and I believe the reason Jesus, when he went back, he could have used a whole lot of scriptures. But for our benefit, he picks that one. Every word coming out of God's mouth. We need to follow his directions and his instructions accurately, exactly. If they obeyed, they'd have food to eat. 
So they learned that it was way more important to follow God's word than it was to eat that food. Even if there was an abundance of food. Remember Adam and Eve? Here they are in the garden. Eat anything and everything you want. You couldn't eat it if you lived to be a million years old. There's so much food. As long as you do exactly how I tell you to. All the food in the world, and yet they didn't eat it according to God's word. They ate the food contrary to God's instruction. When we look at this first test, it's really concerning a fleshly need, and it's a legitimate need. We need to eat. Jesus was all human. He needed to eat. So it was a legitimate need, but the test was that eating and fulfilling that need instead of trusting the word of God and his provision. Fleshly need. Satan comes at us with that all the time. Trusting in God's word. We quickly doubt what he says. His provision. Test two came immediately after it. And in this one he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem, taking him to Jerusalem, putting him at the the highest part of the temple, and telling him to jump off. What possible reason would there be for that temptation? Well, I can think of a few. One of them would certainly be, there would have been all kinds of people around the temple, because there was always all kinds of people around the temple. And if you go there, Jesus, and you go up there and you just jump off and the angels catch you so you don't even bruise your feet, they're going to be impressed. They're going to know that you're someone special. There's a temptation there. What an easy route that would have been to take. And notice he tempts him this time, and this is a good caution for all of us, he tempts him by quoting Scripture. He quotes from Psalms 91. And he quotes it accurately. Totally out of context. Pastor Bob was teaching in class this morning about context, context, context. When we read and study the Word of God, Satan knows the Word of God probably better than most of us here. He doesn't know God. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit to give him the wisdom, understanding, and insight and the revelation that we get. And he doesn't understand the context and application. So he will use it any way he wants. Ever know anybody who will do that? Besides the devil? Yeah, there's a lot of people like that. You know, God tells us in the last days of false prophets are going to abound. They can quote the word of God, but it might not be in the right context. We need to be careful, even in our own lives. Context, context, context. Understanding and knowing the word of God. Satan himself quotes scripture. And once again, he's quoting it from Deuteronomy. Everybody that thought Deuteronomy was one boring book of the Bible, maybe we should go back and revisit it. I wonder if Jesus was sitting there for 40 days studying Deuteronomy. All I know is when the devil came, he was ready. And he goes back again and he quotes from Deuteronomy. You shall not test the Lord your God. And once again, in Deuteronomy, he is going back, using a scripture, when the Israelites were being tested, and in this case, whining and murmuring in the desert during that 40 years of testing so that they would learn to believe and trust in the Word of God. 
In this particular case, what they were whining and complaining about was they were thirsty. Now, without going back and doing a history lesson, the Israelites by this time should have had so much confidence in God that there was nothing that would scare them. I mean, starting with the Red Sea parting, and before that, all of the, all of the things that happened to Egypt, the plagues, and it just goes on and on and on and on. But now they're thirsty. Not only are they thirsty and whining a little bit, they say, God, what in the world? Why did you do this? Why did you bring us out of Egypt just to get out here in the wilderness so we could die, our children could die, and then they even threw in and our livestock will die? Boy, were they testing God. And this is the scripture Jesus goes back and uses against the enemy. You shall not test the Lord your God. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you ever heard of that exception clause in a legal document? Don't ever do this, don't ever do this, except in this case. There's an exception clause in the Old Testament to thou shalt not test the Lord your God. It's in Malachi, the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 10. And he says, the Lord says, test me in this. Anybody knows what he's talking about? Tithing. Isn't that interesting? Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. Except, go ahead, test me in tithing and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. The Tithing for what that's worth. And it's worth quite a lot. Then the third one. Now, when I read this trial or test or temptation, I just think, God, the devil is either really audacious or he's really stupid, and he catches on really slow. But I think, how many of you, if you watch football, we have any Green Bay Packer fans here today? Barneses are gone. Well, Aaron Rodgers has kind of set a new standard for something called the Hail Mary Pass. You know what the Hail Mary Pass is in football? It's like, it's hopeless. The game's almost over, except the clock hasn't quite hit zero yet. So you go back and you throw the ball as far as you can and as deep as you can and hopefully into the end zone. And your team goes and makes a miraculous catch and you win the game. I think Satan just threw a Hail Mary. Nothing else has worked. And now he's going to come at him and say, he took him to a high mountaintop somewhere. And he says, look at this. Look around. Look at all of the kingdoms. Look at all that's in the kingdoms. Look at all of this. All of this, I'm going to just give it to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Now, I have a hard time believing he thinks Jesus was going to fall for that. I think it was a Hail Mary of all Hail Marys. But he did it anyway, and that's what he threw out there. And I think it's interesting. How many of you know that Jesus could have told Satan anywhere in this process to get lost? He had the authority. He didn't have to wait for the first temptation. He didn't have to wait for the second. He certainly didn't have to put up with 40 days of Satan tempting him. He had an authority. He had an authority over him. The first temptation came. He put up with it. The second temptation came. He slapped him again with Scripture. And, and Jesus just kind of, it's almost like he's playing with the devil. And now he comes with this one. All Earthly power and glory is yours. Look around. First of all, it's kind of an interesting offer because 
Jesus already had that offer from the Father. I am going to give you all that there is. You are going to be the king eternal. So what's the temptation in this? What a shortcut. What a shortcut to his calling. Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. And if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the Jewish people, Deuteronomy chapter 6, those first four, five, six, seven, eight verses are considered the most important verses in the book of Deuteronomy. They call it the Shema. Part of it is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And it goes on. And it talks about this one true God. And here Jesus is quoting from that chapter. And he says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And then he says, Away with me, Satan. Away from me, Satan. Get lost. It's time for you to leave. I'm bored with this. You're not going to win. The authority that Jesus had. And it's so interesting to me. When we look at the temptations in the garden, lust of the eyes. It looked good. Lust of the flesh. I'm hungry. And the lust for the pride of life. You will be like God. Bow down and worship me and I will make you king over all of this. The lust of the eye. The lust of the flesh. The pride of life. Isn't that amazing? Same thing today. You want something. You desire something. You know it's not of God. You know it's sinful. But I really want it. And it looks so good and it sounds so good. I really want it. And if I do it, I might become something special. I'll feel special. I'll feel wanted. I'll feel loved. I'll feel important. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Satan's still doing the same thing thousands and thousands and thousands of years since he started doing it in the garden, since he tried it on Jesus, and it's still using it on us. And it still is powerless against God's children because it's a lie and based on lies and deceptions. And we have authority. Isn't that awesome? You are a child of God. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All authority the Father has given to me, says Jesus, I give it to you. Go in the world and make disciples, etc., etc. We shouldn't be succumbing to the temptations of the devil. Know that he will try to do anything he can to challenge your belief that you're a child of God. We see even in Jesus' temptation, that was a primary part of the challenge. And he never succumbed to it, not once. Our identity is also central to the temptations we face. Again, if you are. And that if can be either used either way when we're tempted. If you are, meaning <laughs> you're not really. If you are, prove it. If you are. Or it can be used the other way. If you are a child of God, what do you have to worry about? Either way, we can get led into sin by the devil. He can take us in either direction, either path. If you are, you're not really. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Can you remember what you did, what you said? Can you remember? Can you remember? Can you remember? And you will remember because he'll bring it back to you. 
if you are, or if you are and you really are a child of God, what do you got to worry about? Golly, the Bible says, uh, she who has been forgiven much loves much. And if I just sin more, I'll be forgiven more and I'll love more. Praise God, I love the Scriptures. Grace abounds where there's sin. Where there's lots of sin, there's more grace. Let's help God out here. I'm going to sin more so more grace can abound. Paul says, you're an idiot. Don't ever do that. But you see how the devil can work. He can take us in either direction. Both directions lead to destruction, lead to sin. So I think as many lessons as there are in there, I'm going to just point out three in closing. Number one, Jesus used these things. I think we need to be reminded of that. We need to know what's important in life in our Christian life. And that's knowing and be obedient to the Word of God. You know, the statistics out there, and if we would take a secret poll in here, we might not be shocked, but we should be, of how many of us spend more than 20 minutes a day reading the Word. How many of us spend 10 minutes a day or more reading the Word? How many spend five minutes or more a day reading the Word? How many don't read the Word every day? We would be greatly distressed by the outcome of that poll. One of the most important things to resisting the enemy is knowing the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God. The second thing is trusting in God. You know, so often we like to to throw out things. Sometimes we get spiritual and we even call it Gideon's fleece. Well, I'm going to just throw this out there. And God, if you're real and this really happens, then I'll trust you. I don't think that's what we should be doing. God sometimes in his grace lets us get by with that. But we need to trust God. He will do and fulfill what his word says he will do. We don't need to challenge him. We don't need to test him. If you have this overwhelming desire to test God, let me give you permission in the one area that he did. Give all you want. Test him in this. See if he will not bless you and fill your, your, your storehouse to overflowing. But we do not need the supernatural spectacular to trust God. And the good news is, he will give us the supernatural and he will give us the spectacular. But we don't want to live on that as our source of trust and confidence in God. And thirdly and lastly, I like shortcuts. Anybody here always looking for the easier way? I'd like to save six bazillion people. God, give me that kind of audience. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? If you only gave me a zillion dollars, I would give almost all of it away. Yeah, he knows way better. Let me see. I'll give you ten. See if you handle that well. You did pretty good. I'll give you a hundred. Now I'll give you a thousand. You know, we all want shortcuts. God has a calling on every single life in here. He has a a, a supernatural calling and a destiny on every life in here. But we need to be careful not to take the bait of the shortcut or the easy way. When we're going through a trial or a testing and we feel like we're in a desert place, we need to say, okay, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me here? What is it you're trying to equip me with here? Because he will what? He will work out everything for good for those who believe. There's something in it for us. We need to be careful of the shortcuts in fulfilling our calling and our destiny. There are no shortcuts with God. Let's close in prayer. 
Lord, again, I just thank you so much for your word and the, 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 the examples in your word for us to learn from. God, I thank you for the example of Jesus being taken into the desert by your spirit to be tested, to show us what overcoming trust, confidence, and faith looks like. That the enemy truly is a defeated foe. That we can walk in an authority and confidence in Jesus Christ because you declare us to be your children. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. And you declare we are joint heirs with Christ and you have given us an authority over the enemy. I pray, Lord, you would continue to expand our understanding, give us greater and greater revelation, give us the grace to walk that out on a daily basis. Father, that we, the enemy will not hold your children in bondage of any kind any longer. We pray these things, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.